Chapter Twenty Five of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheraton Lefanu. Chapter Twenty Five. In which the sun sets and the merrymaking is kept up by candlelight in the king's house and lily receives a warning which she does not comprehend dr toole without whom no jollification of any sort could occur satisfactorily in chapel is it or the country round was this evening at the king's house of course as usual with his eyes about him and his tongue busy and at this moment he was setting clough right about devereux's relation to the title and estates of athen rye his uncle roland lord athen rye was as everybody knew a lunatic toole used to call him orlando furioso and lewis his first cousin by his father's elder brother the heir presumptive was very little better and reported every winter to be dying he spends all his time his spine being made it is popularly believed of gristle stretched on his back upon a deal board cutting out paper figures with a pair of scissors toole used to tell them at the club when alarming letters arrived about the health of the noble uncle and his hopeful nephew the heir apparent that's the gentleman whose backbone's made of jelly eh puttick two letters come by jove announcing that dick devereux's benefit is actually fixed for the christmas holidays when his cousin undertakes to die for positively the last time and his uncle will play in the most natural manner conceivable the last act of king lear in fact this family calamity was rather a cheerful subject among devereux's friends and certainly devereux had no reason to love that vicious selfish old lunatic lord athen rye who in his prodigal and heartless reign before straw and darkness swallowed him never gave the boy a kind word or gentle look and owed him a mortal grudge because he stood near the kingdom and wrote most damaging reports of him at the end of the holidays and dispatched those letters of bellerophon by the boy's own hand to the schoolmaster with the natural results when aunt rebecca rustled into the ring that was gathered round about the fiddles and tambourine she passed miss magnolia very near with a high countenance and looking straight before her and with no more recognition than the tragedy queen bestows upon the painted statue on the wing by which she enters and miss mag followed her with a titter and an angry flash of her eyes so aunt rebecca made up to the little hillock little bigger than a good tea-cake on which the dowager was perched in a high-backed chair smiling over the dancers with a splendid benignity and beating time with her fat short foot and aunt becky told mrs colonel stafford standing by she had extemporized a living watteau and indeed it was a very pretty picture or aunt becky would not have said so and craning from this eminence she saw her niece coming leisurely round not in company of mervyn that interesting stranger on the contrary had by this time joined lilius and devereux 
who had returned toward the dancers and was talking again with miss walsingham gertrude's beau was little puddock who was all radiant and supremely blessed but encountering rather a black look from aunt becky as they drew near he deferentially surrendered the young lady to the care of her natural guardian who forthwith presented her to the dowager and puddock warned off by another glance backed away and fell unawares helplessly into the possession of miss magnolia a lady whom he never quite understood and whom he regarded with a very kind and polite sort of horror so the athletic magnolia instantly impounded the little lieutenant and began to rally him in the sort of slang she delighted in with plenty of merriment and malice upon his tender for miss chatsworth and made the gallant young gentleman blush and occasionally smile and bow a great deal and take some snuff and here comes the duchess of belmont again said the saucy miss magnolia seeing the stately approach of aunt becky as it seemed to puttick through the back of her head i think the exertion and frolic of the dance had got her high blood up into a sparkling state and her scorn and hate of aunt rebecca was more demonstrative than usual now you'll see how she'll run against poor little simple me just because i'm small and this is the way they dance it cried she in a louder tone and capering backward with a bounce and an air and a grace she came with a sort of a curtsy and a smart bump and a shock against the stately miss rebecca and whisking round with a little scream and a look of terrified innocence and with her fingers to her heart to suppress an imaginary palpitation dropped a low curtsy saying i'm blessed but i thought twas tall burke the gunner you might look behind before you spring backward young gentlewoman said aunt becky with a very bright colour and you might look before you before you spring forward old gentlewoman replied miss mag just as angry young ladies used to have a respect to decorum aunt becky went on so they prayed me to tell you madam replied the young lady with a very meek curtsy and a very crimson face yes miss mac mag madame it used to be so rejoined aunt rebecca twas part of my education at least to conduct myself in a polite company like a civilized person i wish i could see it says blind hugh magnolia retorted but twas a good while ago madame and you've had time to forget i shall acquaint your mother mrs mug mac mcnamara with your pretty behaviour to-morrow said miss rebecca to-morrow's a new day and mother may be well enough then to hear your genteel lamentation but i suppose you mean to-morrow come never answered magnolia with another of her provoking meek courtesies oh this is lieutenant puddock said aunt becky drawing off in high disdain the bully of the town your present company sir will find very pretty work i warrant for your sword and pistols sir lancelot and his bell do you like a bell or a bell damn best sir lancelot inquired miss mag with a mild little dr puddock you'll have your hands pretty full sir ha 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 and with scarlet cheeks and a choking laugh 
away sailed aunt rebecca choke chicken there's more a hatchin said miss mag in a sort of aside and cutting a flick flack with a merry devilish laugh and a wink to puttock that officer being a gentleman was a good deal disconcerted and scandalized too literal to see and too honest to enjoy the absurd side of the combat twas an affair of a few seconds like two frigates crossing in a gale with only opportunity for a broadside or two and when the rebecca chatsworth sheered off it can't be denied her tackling was a good deal more cut up and her hull considerably more pierced than those of the saucy magnolia who sent that whistling shot and provoking cheer in her majestic wake i see you want to go lieutenant puttock lieutenant o'flaherty i promise to dance this country dance with you don't let me keep you ensign puttock said miss mag in a huff observing little puttock's wandering eye and thoughts i uh you see miss mcnamara truly you were so hard upon poor miss rebecca chatsworth that i fear i shall get into trouble unless i go and make my peace with her lisped the little lieutenant speaking the truth as was his wont with a bow and a polite smile and a gentle indication of beginning to move away oh is that all i was afraid you were sick of the mullygrubs with eating chopped hay you had better go back to her at once if she wants you for if you don't with a good grace she'll very likely come and take you back by the collar and miss mag and o'flaherty joined in a derisive hee-haw to puttock's considerable confusion who bowed and smiled again and tried to laugh till the charming couple relieved him by taking their places in the dance when i read this speech about the mullygrubs in the old yellow letter which contains a lively account of the skirmish my breath was fairly taken away and i could see nothing else for more than a minute and so soon as i was quite myself again i struck my revising pen across the monstrous sentence with uncompromising decision referring it to a clerical blunder or some unlucky transposition and i wondered how any polite person could have made so gross a slip but see how authentication waits upon truth three years afterwards i picked up in the parlour of the cat and fiddle on the macclesfield road in derbyshire a scrubby old duodecimo which turned out to be an old volume of dean swift's works well i opened in the middle of polite conversation and there upon my honour the second sentence i read was lady smart mark that lady what you are sick of the mullygrubs with eating chopped hay so my good old yellow letter writer i or t tresham can't decide what he signs himself you were no doubt exact here as in all other matters and i was determining the probable and the impossible unphilosophically by the rule of my own time and my poor magnolia though you spoke some years thirty or so later than my lady smart a countess for aught i know you are not so much to blame thirty years what of that don't we to this hour more especially in rural districts encounter among the old folk every now and then one of honest simon wagstaff's pleasantries 
which had served many ladies and gentlemen so long before that charming compiler with his large table book took the matter in hands and i feel i confess a queer sort of a thrill not at all contemptuous neither altogether sad nor altogether joyous but something pleasantly regretful whenever one of those quaint and faded old servants of the mirth of so many dead and buried generations turns up in my company and now the sun went down behind the tufted trees and the blue shades of evening began to deepen and the merry company flocked into the king's house to dance again and drink tea and make more love and play round games and joke and sing songs and eat supper under old colonel stafford's snug and kindly roof tree dangerfield who arrived rather late was now in high chat with aunt becky she rather liked him and had very graciously accepted a gray parrot and a monkey which he had deferentially presented a step which called forth to general chatsworth's consternation a cockatoo from clough who felt the necessity of maintaining his ground against the stranger and wrote off by the next packet to london in a confounded passion for he hated wasting money about a pelican he had got wind of dangerfield also entered with much apparent interest into a favorite scheme of aunt becky's for establishing between chapel is it and knockmaroon a sort of retreat for discharged jailbirds of her selection a colony happily for the character and the silver spoons of the neighborhood never eventually established it was plain he was playing the frank good fellow and aiming at popularity he had become one of the club he played at whist and only smiled after his sort when his partner revoked and he lost like a gentleman his talk was brisk and hard and caustic that of a philistine who had seen the world and knew it he had the peerage by rote and knew something out of the way amusing or damnable about every person of note you could name and his shrewd gossip had a bouquet its own and a fine cynical flavor which secretly awed and delighted the young fellows he smiled a good deal he was not aware that a smile did not quite become him the fact is he had lost a good many side teeth and it was a hollow and sinister disclosure he would laugh too occasionally but his laugh was not rich and joyous like general chatsworth's or even tom tool's cosy chuckle or old dr walsingham's hilarious ha 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 he did not know it but there was a cold hard ring in it like the crash and jingle of broken glass then his spectacles shining like ice in the light never removed for a moment never even pushed up to his forehead he eat in them drank in them fished in them joked in them he prayed in them and no doubt slept in them and would it was believed be buried in them heightened that sense of mystery and mask which seemed to challenge curiosity and defy scrutiny with a scornful chuckle in the meantime the mirth and frolic and flirtation were drawing to a close the dowager in high good humor was conveyed downstairs to her carriage by colonel stafford and lord castle mallard and rolled away with blazing flambeau like a meteor into town there was a breaking up and leave-taking and parting jokes on the doorsteps and as the ladies old and young were popping on their mantles in the little room off the hall 
and aunt becky and mrs colonel strafford were exchanging a little bit of eager farewell gossip beside the cabinet gertrude chatsworth by some chance she and lilius had not had an opportunity of speaking that evening drew close to her and she took her hand and said good night dear lily and glanced over her shoulder still holding lily's hand and she looked very pale and earnest and said quickly in a whisper lily darling if you knew what i could tell you if i dare about mr mervyn you would cut your hand off rather than allow him to talk to you as i confess he has talked to me as an admirer and knowing what i know and with an eye upon him lily lily i've been amazed by him to-night i can only warn you now darling be aware of a great danger tis no danger however to me gertrude dear said lily with a pleasant little smile and though he's handsome there's something is there not funest in his deep eyes and black hair and the dear old man knows something strange about him too i suppose tis all the same story and he has not told you said gertrude looking down with a gloomy face at her fan no but i am so curious i know he will though he does not like to speak of it but you know gertie i love a horror and i know the story is fearful and i feel uncertain whether he's a man or a ghost but see aunt rebecca and mistress strafford are kissing good-night dear lily and remember said pale gertrude without a smile looking at her for a moment with a steadfast gaze and then kissing her with a hasty and earnest pressure and lily kissed her again and so they parted end of chapter twenty five recording by john brandon